0: as Alaikum and welcome to another episode of the Dr. Will show where I interview educators and entrepreneurs on leveling up. Each episode I zoom in someone who's dope and we just sit back and have a conversation on what it means to live your best life. Now if this is your first time checking out the podcast, this is the Mobile University for Entrepreneurs and I'm your host Dr. Will. Now today's episode we're going to be talking about the second edition of Digital Leadership, written by none other than Eric Schoeninger. Now, if you're an educator, you should know who this man is by now. Uh, He is out there really providing so much value through his books, his blogs, he's vlogging people, Eric is on video, and of course you've seen him on stages all across the country and around the world. Now, for those who'll be listening, on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, and Simplecast. Will you please introduce yourself, Eric? Oh, my goodness. Well, first off, Will, it's an honor to be with the man, the myth, the legend,
1: my good friend. Uh, You know, thankfully, everything comes back to social media, and uh, it was a blessing for me to connect with you. Oh, my goodness. I I think it was 10 years ago. So, uh, my name is Eric. Uh, I was a science teacher and then a principal in New Jersey. And uh, I kinda got the kick in the butt that I needed from a student when he told me that I was a failure. Uh, yeah, I liked to run around the school taking devices from kids making their lives miserable. My kid said thank you Mr. Scheninger, for creating a jail out of what should be a school. So that wasn't the only kick in the butt I got. Then I got on Twitter shortly after, after making fun of people who were on social media. Saying that people that dedicate time on Facebook, Twitter, MySpace, Friendster are losers i had that fixed mindset but you know what i saw a connection to my professional practice and that was communication you will not find an effective leader who is not an effective communicator and that's why i got on social media so i'm communicating then i got creepy i became a creepy lurker and i lurked and i learned i learned how far behind my school was i learned how fixed my mindset was i learned that in many cases i was the problem because i had the title the position the power in order to block needed change you know we all have life experiences that change our trajectory those were mine now i mean i was blessed to be the principal of a school where my teachers and my kids and my community believe that we could be better we put research into practice we had evidence to back up every single innovative idea and use of technology and how it was improving outcomes and we did things not only in terms of improving achievement but improving our culture And uh, after many years just transforming teaching, learning, and leadership, I then transitioned to my new role uh, as senior fellow with the International Center for Leadership and Education. And now I am blessed to work with teachers, schools, administrators, districts, organizations all over the world on how we can take that critical lens to our work, improve our practice, and improve outcomes, whether they're for kids or our own
0: wow you can sell anything eric i i, I can you can.
1: well you know what it's not about selling this is about passion will you have a passion for what you do i mean you do this podcast i mean this is your life you love sharing stories so for me you know i look at it as hopefully people can learn from my mistakes but more importantly hopefully people can learn from the experiences uh, not just of myself, but of digital leaders, of teachers, administrators, kids that are implementing new ideas, better ideas, but having that result, that evidence, so that we can really scale the work in our schools. Listen, if you're not passionate about what you do, you shouldn't be doing it. And I'll tell you right now, if you're not passionate about you know, learning how to get better every single day, helping kids find their why, are preparing kids not for something, but for anything. If you're not passionate about that, get the heck out of education and find something else to do.
0: But you're so, the way you tell your story, the, you, you, you say it with so much conviction that if you're not a believer, you become one. Well, I mean,
1: that's the hope. I mean, because I was the, the poster child for the non-believer. I mean, you know, the most dangerous phrase in education, that's the way we've always done it. Uh, Other things that get in the way, tradition, uh, or the you know, let's not get rid of the pep rally, or let's make sure we still have study halls, or let's make sure we have our eight period days. You know, it's that status quo, the tradition, the mindset of this too shall pass. That was me. And I I own it, Will. I mean, am I ashamed? Am I disappointed? Am I upset that I didn't sort of change sooner? Of course I am. But you know what? There is no perfection in education. There's no perfect teacher, administrator, school district. And you know what? There, in my mind, there are no true experts. You know, we are always learning. But that's the key: is we have to have a willingness to learn. We have to know now that. In This you know knowledge based economy knowledge is out there. It's how do we access it? How do we utilize it to become better at what we do? How do we use it to reflect and improve uh, those fundamental aspects of culture that can really prime our kids to not just survive but thrive in a radically uh, disruptive world
0: Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, so For folks who haven't read your first book, Digital Leadership, or haven't seen you or heard you speak, I want to begin by you defining digital leadership and what are the seven pillars of digital leadership?
1: Yeah, you know, I look at this way. As times change, so must the practice of leaders to establish a culture of learning that's relevant, research-based, and rooted in relationships. Digital leadership is all about people, Will, all about people and how their collective actions aligned with new thinking, ideas, and tools help build cultures primed for success. It's about a strategic mindset and set of behaviors that leverage resources to create a meaningful, transparent, and engaging school culture that prepare learners now and well into the future. It is not about throwing out the baby with the bathwater. It's not about saying, oh, well, let's do something new just because we love doing do something new. It's not about slapping the word innovative on it because that seems to be what everyone does. You know, it, It's about looking at what we know already works. And it's how does the digital piece support what the research says, support the evidence that we have, and enhance those outcomes that we want. You know, it's about working smarter, not harder, and getting better results. It's about doing what we already do better. So forget the digital piece, Will. It's about leadership. This new edition is really about those dispositions. I took a lot of the references to technology out, the tools, because tools change. The dispositions will not. So as we frame it in terms of, you know, hey, when people look at just technology in general, Um, They're like, oh my goodness, just another thing I have to do, or we don't have money, or there's too many mandates and directives. If it's important to you, you'll find a way. If not, you'll make an excuse. We got to focus on solutions, Will, not excuses. So as we think about solutions, the seven pillars of digital leadership represent the fundamental elements that are embedded in every school culture. You know, and that's the key, keep it simple stupid, is what are we already doing? Let's do it better. Pillar number one, student engagement, learning and outcomes. That is about pedagogy, building pedagogical practice, taking a critical lens to instructional design and making sure that with the changes to technology, that the pedagogy is changing as well. Pillar number two, learning spaces and environments. I mean, do we want to learn in the same classrooms as all all of our kids? Do we want to learn in the same conditions as all of our kids? It's not about just comfortable furniture and throwing things in there and colors. Again, it comes down to, is the pedagogy changing? And on that, the key question I ask is, you know, how are kids using technology to learn in ways that they couldn't without it? How are kids being empowered to learn in spaces? And environments that are more reflective of the real world. And the, a lot of the whole essence is that we need to ask the right questions and then find answers to those questions. Pillar number three is all about us adults. How do we take ownership of our own learning? How do we learn anytime, anywhere, with anyone we want? Pillar three is about personal learning networks. Now, I'm not saying get away from traditional professional development or PLCs, it's about how do we supplement that. You know, resources, ideas, ask questions, answer questions, support. We are here today, Will, and you know this because of the PLN. You know, I've been able to break bread with you and your wife in your hometown. You have hung out with me at the Model Schools Conference. Our face-to-face meetings happen years after we connected with our personal learning network. I look at it this way. You know, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. That quote is attributed to over 100 different people. But here's the thing, all of us can spare 15 minutes a day. We can make the time to learn and get better. Those first three pillars are all about improving the work. How do we fundamentally improve teaching, learning, and leadership? The next four, how do we share the work? And you know this, you know with your you know, slamming documentary, Out the Edupreneur, I mean come on, it's about how we share the work, how we take pride in what we do. Pillar number four is about communication, it's about meeting our stakeholders where they're at using real-time tools to in a multifaceted approach to give them the information they need when they need it through the tool that they want to engage with. Pillar five is about public relations. If you don't tell your story, someone else will. Digital leadership is about becoming the storyteller-in-chief. It's about becoming the PR using that bullhorn. Pillar number six is about branding. When you improve the work, share the work, you create a brand presence. Why is that important? In the animal kingdom, it's eat or be eaten. In the human kingdom, it's define or be defined. It takes one person with an iPhone to create your identity. We we should be so proud of what we're doing in education, Will, but you know what? We gotta share more. And that whole building that brand presence, it's not about selling, it's about telling to empower learning, build relationships, improve outcomes for our kids. And then finally, opportunity. When you improve the work and share the work, great things happen. You know, I talk about in the book how my school got hundreds of thousands of dollars of technology for free. How my kids tried out the Chromebooks early on and gave feedback to the developers of the Chromebook. How alums were showing up with $10,000 checks saying, help your kids learn because we're so proud of what we're reading on Facebook. You know, if opportunity does not knock, build a door. That's from Milton Berle. What did we do? We built a ton of doors for our kids, for our teachers. But all this is open to everyone. And here's the main point of digital leadership. Leadership is not about title, position, or power. It's about action. And what you'll see in this new edition is it really empowers our teacher leaders, our building leaders, our district leaders, our community leaders to take that needed action to transform teaching, learning, and leadership at scale. Mm
0: So your latest book is Digital Leadership, Changing Paradigms or Changing Times. Now, let me ask you something, Eric. This is the second edition. What made you go back to the first book, and how is it different from
1: it? Yeah, a lot of reflection, Will. I mean, I still don't consider myself a writer. Ask my mom. She has to proof my blog posts every week because she was so upset seeing uh, all my grammatical and spelling errors. Uh, you know what? People ask me all the time, hey, Eric, you know, I want to do what you do, and blah, 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 whether it's writing, speaking. And here's the deal. you got to put your passion first. It's got to be about the work. So, you know, when, when I look, looked at the first edition of the book, it did really well. I mean, it sold a lot of copies. Uh, you know, it was sold all over the world. It was humbling. But when I went back through and read it, and, and I took that critical lens, I reflected and said, wow, you know what? I can improve this part, or this isn't relevant anymore. So a lot of the need was, in that first edition, it was heavily based on the work uh, at New Melford High School, where I was a principal. But a lot's changed. So you know, what I did is, after reflecting, you know, I beefed up those sections that, where I got feedback from people all over the world. That's what I learned about social media is the feedback I got. And listen, some people might say they like feedback, but it, it, they only like it if they actually take it to heart and use it to improve, even if they don't agree with it. There were some things initially I did not agree with. But as I reflected, I tried to take that advice. And some of the biggest changes that people will see is chapter five, the student learning outcomes piece is dramatically different. I really focused on you know, that pedagogical foundation. Pedagogy first, technology second, if appropriate. Focusing on the elements of instructional design. Asking key questions like when kids are using technology, are they thinking? How are they applying their thinking? That's important without technology. You know, taking out throughout the book the references to tools. You know, besides the main tools of Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, I took all the tools out because tools change. I wanted to focus on how will Educators use the tools to support and enhance professional practice to have kids empower their learning Let them take more ownership to integrate pedagogically sound blended learning when going one-to-one and bring your own device making sure that there is professional learning well beforehand and that it's job embedded ongoing after so as we were having our conversation off air you know, you're like, oh my goodness, Eric, when I got a copy of the book, I couldn't believe how 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 much thicker it was in the first edition. Same here. I really tried to focus again on those elements that people will find the most beneficial. Some other key features, um, I took out all the appendices. Uh, There are digital resources to documents that I control, uh, downloadables, examples of uh, assessments, uh, forms, all that stuff. Um, you know, focusing on efficacy throughout. You know, efficacy are uh, we all set goals, but what's the degree to which we reach those goals? So that's a main theme throughout. Also, to save people time, I built a study guide right into the book. Every chapter ends with four to five, chap- uh, four to five questions. So the study guide is right there. And also, the way I wrote it was. Let's say you just want to go in and focus on public relations. You don't have to go through the book sequentially. You can start at that pillar. So the seven chapters focus on the pillars, you can mix and match. So I really tried to make this more about the reader than the author, which was me. So there's some other elements in there that I'm sure I'm forgetting. But, oh, yeah, and it's evergreen. You know, um, all dates, years, all that taken out so that when people read this book, it will apply to their role, not just today, but hopefully five, 10, 15, 20 years from now.
0: Hmm. So I wanna jump into the fourth industrial revolution that you wrote about in the book. So there's no secret that there are cheaper devices now and we have machine learning and all this connectivity with the internet has brought on so much disruption across many industries. Yet some have failed to embrace it or even prepare for it. With all of these technological advances that are happening in society, how can schools keep up with the changes that we're seeing?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. You know, we look at artificial intelligence, advanced robotics, automation. I mean, I just read an article today how Netflix, if they don't change, is going to go under because of. They don't control all the amazing content that Disney does. And when Disney Plus comes out, oh my goodness. So we're living in exciting yet challenging times. And the key with the fourth industrial revolution is, you know, will our learners be ready to uh, excel in in this world? And it's interesting, you know, I, I share this image in uh digital leadership in one of the opening chapters and i talk about it you know the four key elements that schools need to focus on you know personal skills digital skills job specific skills but most importantly thinking skills here's the key will with all this technology how are we preparing our kids not with the skills but the competencies Mm-hmm. to do what technology cannot do yet. And I say yet because it's very hard to predict what's going to happen in the future, but the way to future proof learning to future proof education is to get our kids to think. And when I look at the fourth industrial revolution, that's why the rigor relevance framework is so important. It, it's an easy framework that presents a visual to take that critical lens to our work, to ask ourselves, are our kids thinking? With and without technology, where's the level of questioning? Where is the task? Are we scaffolding? Are we moving beyond just knowledge-based to getting kids to apply, analyze, evaluate, create? But thinking doesn't go far enough. I work in some schools as a job embedded coach. I see great uh, rigor, which is thinking but how do kids apply their thinking in relevant, meaningful ways? And that's the key, rigor and relevance, authenticity. How are kids solving real world predictable and unpredictable problems? How are they seeing authentic connection to the real world? So the fourth industrial revolution, you know, really is about schools, uh, not just going through the motions, not just going through scope and sequence, But challenging kids to think, bring that rigor in, as I mentioned before. We we can't, we can ill afford to prepare kids for something. We need to prepare them for anything. And you do that through challenging tasks where kids are thinking creatively, collaboratively, together.
0: So I want to throw this out there to you because... You know, in the book you wrote about how you know we're teaching kids now who were born into a digital world, and so you know how schools are like you know put that cell phone away, but kids are using those mobile devices to not only receive information, consume information, but they're taking iPhones and creating movies. They are they're, they're even when you look at their connections on Facebook or other platforms, Instagram. They are view these people as like real friends, real part of their lives, whereas adults may say, uh, well, I know you, but we don't, I don't know you know you until something else happens. With these new kids that are coming into our schools and how they use the devices and how they view technology in a way that's very innate to them, a very, a, 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 so much a part of who they are, What do you say to teachers or administrators who, they see those students, they can cognitively know there's a difference, but they're still trying to make those students fit into what they've always been doing?
1: Yeah, and there's a lot of things to say on that, but I'm going to try to temper my words in respect for the time that we have. But, you know, kids know how to use technology for the most part. They do not for the most part, know how to use technology to support their learning. And that's our job in education. You know, I'm a big proponent of balance. Technology will not improve every outcome. It shouldn't be used 24-7. Kids need to know the essence of, you know, the soft skills, you know, how to make eye contact, communication, write a thesis statement, all that. But we are doing, in my opinion, a disservice to our kids if we are not creating an environment that is balanced, that, you know, if there's an opportunity for a student to showcase conceptual mastery using technology, why would we not give him or her that opportunity? And usually I see a lot of all or nothing approaches and I kind of shake my head because, You know, in my role, uh, in my job now, technology is a big part. Look at this. This is how I do a lot of my meetings right here. But when we think about the elements that are critical to real world success, you know, self-management, independent inquiry, collaboration, communication, um, all of these facets are, are what happens in the real world. And Technology is a big component of that. So I think a lot of it is how we find, again, going back to that pedagogical link. You know, when I look at you know, working with teachers, I try to get them to see this shift in the balance of power. The balance of power traditionally is in instruction, what the teacher does. But really it's how is instruction set up learning? what the kid does. The balance of power has to shift from instruction to learning. So what I start, when I talk about instruction, I say, hey, you know what, let's look at a great lesson. You'll start with an anticipatory set, or maybe a do now. You'll review prior learning. You'll check for understanding, guided practice, independent practice, closure. All of that isn't rocket science. A lot of that comes from ITIP which was developed by Madeline Hunter in the late 70s. Lesson plan design. Now, I'm not saying you need to do all those elements, but let's talk about instruction, but then how are kids going to apply their learning? And I think that's where kids, we talk about student agency, You know, voice, choice. You know, How do we incorporate those elements? Technology, without a doubt, improves how we can check for understanding with our kids, how we can close our lessons, how we can review prior learning. So a lot of it is finding that synergy, in terms of doing what we already know, know we're gonna do, but having that opportunity to let our kids, let our kids use the technology. And that's the key, the learning piece. It's not what the adult does with technology that matters. It's what do the kids do? But knowing this, some kids don't wanna use technology. It's not their preferred medium. So that's why we have to be able to give up control and trust our kids. And it really comes down to this, Will. When we talk about these changes that we want, I told you technology changes. How is level of questioning changing? How are performance tasks changing? How is student work changed? How has assessment changed? How has feedback changed? If those things are not changing and we just throw technology in the mix, all we're doing is surface level substitution that really is sustaining the status quo. So again, it really comes down to, you know, when we look at it, it, what I hear from teachers and administrators in the field, and you know me, I'm out there a lot, is they want more relevant professional learning that meets their needs. When we talk about all this, a lot of districts will put all the efforts into training teachers, which is awesome. But if the administrators are not trained on par, if they can't go in and identify effective, ineffective practices, and give feedback, then what's the point? So if we really want success with everything that we've talked about up to this point, you know, I emphasize that with, you know, pillar number three is the professional learning. You know, are we sending our teachers and administrators to the right workshops, the right conferences as a district? You know, are we using our title monies to provide that job embedded ongoing training that has accountability measures for growth. Not I gotcha, for growth. So it really comes down to it's not how many tools we can use. That professional learning should be focused on instructional design. Let's develop better questions. Let's develop better tasks. Let's develop better assessments. Let's look at student work and see how it aligns with standards, scope and sequence. Are we gonna kids to reflect? Are we making learning visible? All of this stuff, I can go on and on and on again. But the key is not how much technology you have. It's how are you using it effectively? Is it being used in a purposeful fashion? And how are you providing the educators with the adequate supports to get that return on instruction? What is return on instruction? Tom Murray and I talk about this in Learning Transformed. With our investments in technology, what evidence do we have that it's improving learning outcomes for our kids?
0: Mm -hmm you Go going there with y'all today, people. <laughs> so I was once told that it's easy to level up an individual, but very hard to move systemic change. How can a digital leader actually move that large-scale digital change? And actually, what does it look like at the school site?
1: Understand, first and foremost, that change is not an event. It's a process. It's going to take time. Also understand, don't expect others to change if you have not changed yourself. Don't expect others to do what you have not, or are not willing to do yourself. A lot of it comes down to how well we model those expectations that we want. And listen, change is a lonely place. I remember when I first began, I was the only one drinking the Kool Aid because I hear me tell my teachers, We're going to change and do all this stuff. But then remember, a month before, I was the one saying, Don't you ever do this. It's bad. But you got to start somewhere and you got to build capacity in others. That's why when we think about leadership, um, it, it's, putting, it's building capacity with those who are your true leaders. When I think about my role as a principal, I had the title, the power, the position, but I wasn't the one actually implementing the changes in the classroom. That was my teachers. So it's how do we build that capacity? How do we remove those roadblocks? I talk a lot in this book about what extent do we go to remove the challenges, the roadblocks, the excuses from our teachers? How do we build them up? How do we empower them? But how do we make sure that there's accountability? And that's the key piece. You know, I get stereotyped as the digital guy you know, the technology guy, all, everywhere. But you know what? What did, we re- what did I really do? I tried to be the catalyst to lead change. We tackled grading, homework, observation, evaluation, uh, assessment, all the hot ticket items. And that's why we were successful. So, you know, when we think about what change looks like, change is building that capacity across all grade levels, all content areas. It's about delegation. It's about trusting other people to lead the charge. You can't do it all yourself. That's not change. You also have to understand that it's not just about your ideas, your thoughts. Using research as a foundation. I mean, hey, if people are going to complain, throw the research at them. Show that what we're asking teachers and administrators to do is grounded in what we know already works. In Chapter 12, I put this great image uh, entitled Authorship Learning. And it makes all the connections to the work of Dewey, Vygotsky, Piaget, Bloom, and many others. And what it really says is, when you look at all the elements, whether it's problem-based learning, collaborative learning, it's not new, there's no technology in this image. So it's not that we're asking people to do more. We're saying do what already works and see how technology can help you do it better. So, when you look at a school that's doing it, it's like you said, it's scaled. It's happening in every classroom. There's evidence to back it up, both qualitative and quantitative measures. It doesn't have to be data. That's why I talk about, you know, I take pictures all the time to show how assessments changing, how student work's changing. But you know what it looks like is where everyone believes, from the teachers to the administrators to community, uh, the community, the teachers that you can walk in any classroom at any time and see the same general expectations both with and without technology. And again, there's expectations aligned to getting our kids to think and getting them to apply their thinking. Mm -hmm. So, and that's the key. One of the challenges we have is isolated pockets of excellence. And we got to move away from that because every kid deserves excellence. Mm -hmm.
0: So in the book, you wrote about how school should reflect real life what do you mean and what should instruction or learning look like in this century
1: you know um when i think about when i think about can you hear me yeah i hear you um, if you hear hear my dog i apologize (laughs) um when you think about what learning should um look like Think about this. Like when, when you walk into an office building, uh, Starbucks, a Google, uh, an Amazon, uh, anything, you know, what does it look like? Does it look like a school? Here's the thing that's consistent. When you walk into a school, it looks like a school. You know, in the real world, you don't see desks in rows. Um, you don't have bells you, again, it's just a totally dramatic, different environment. You know, we have to ask ourselves, schools have been set up for the most part um, to prepare kids for an industrialized workforce. And I get it. Some district schools, it's just so hard to change the space uh, because it, there's no room to build a new school. You just don't have the money. But the the idea here is... How do we look at the, the space and look at, does it reflect? So, you know, and that's the thing when, when a kid walks into a building, it's hard to expect them to think, apply their thinking and be uh, excited to learn if they're sitting in a space that just looks and feels like a school, you know? So that's the thing we can think about is, you know, how do we learn best? And that's why I always say it, you can't change, you can't have flexible seating if you don't have flexible learning. You know, so what I see a lot is changing all of the design, the physical design, but the learning hasn't changed. So the whole idea here is are schools gonna dramatically reflect the real world? No, they're not. We do have these challenges that I don't see us getting past in the near future, but we can start to make those incremental shifts. To make it more, not just more accommodating, not much, but much more hospitable, but really leveraging our common spaces, outdoor spaces, the available technology we have, and giving kids the experiences, the experiences that are more reflective of what they're going to be exposed to in the real world. And that's the key. You know, whether using VR, virtual reality, augmented reality, You know, having kids, you know, conduct relevant research, you know, it comes down to the tasks. So if you can't redesign the space, we can focus on redesigning the experience.
0: Mm. So in the book, you talk about professional learning. And we all know from being in the schools that traditional professional learning is pretty much a sit and get experience, it's not dynamic. It's, hey, here's this curriculum, here's this learning thing we want you to do, and that's it. And it's also given to teachers, no matter grade level, subject areas, like, oh, here's the blanket, you get it all. Please speak to the emergence of the network teacher, especially when we are talking about using uh, social media. And why does every educator need a PLN?
1: Yeah, you know, it's funny when you talk about professional development, um, often professional development mimics what we do to our kids in our classrooms, where like you said, it's direct instruction. Um, it's, oh, let's raise your hand, answer a question, or it's it's random. So as we think about professional development and we think about uh, how we change that, and you know, in the book, I got rid of development I call professional learning, and, you know, development professional development is often something that's been done to us. Professional learning uh, is something that we want to be a part of. And that's really this whole concept of the the network teacher is professional learning should be something that we want to do. You know, no one is forced to have a, a personal learning network to connect with anyone, anytime with anyone, anywhere they want. And that's the beauty of it. It's driven by intrinsic motivation, the desire to learn and get better. And we all have our different outcomes. When we think about personalized learning, personalized learning is not throwing every kid in a device and saying, go through this program. It's personal. Personal is based on interest, passion, and the aspect of the experience the personalization of it. That's what we're doing in these networks. And you know, we can control the medium, the people we want to connect with, the time. So it really becomes this sort of catalyst for, you know, exponential growth. I mean, that's what I've experienced, that's what you've experienced. You know, our world has been flattened. And I look at it this way you know, we get exposed to different ideas, strategies, resources but it's what we do with those under our respective context that truly matters. You know, I tell everyone when I speak or when I coach, I'm not here to tell you what to do. I'm not saying it's my way or the highway. I'm not saying this is the best way. I'm going to show you what's worked for me for other schools, but then you need to apply it under your social demographics, under your respective challenges in order to make it work. And that's the beauty of digital leadership is it's kind of a roadmap. But you're the ones that have to really set the directions to set the parameters for, well, how are you going to get there? How will you know you got there? You know, we know what we are, but what do you want to be? And how are you going to get from what you are to what you want to be? So the professional learning piece is is critical throughout um, the, the entire book. And the PLN is one support. It's really about thinking about how we restructure, we restructure the time that we have during the day, you know, our PLCs, our professional development days. You know, a lot of my work now has transitioned to job embedded coaching. You know, districts are bringing me in from 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 days to work with teachers and administrators on an ongoing job embedded uh, basis where there is no sit and get, there is no workshop, there is no keynote, no fluffy quotes. Which uh, I'm not gonna lie, I got my own fluffy quotes. But, <laughs> but but the whole idea here is how can we look at those elements and facets of what you're doing, your observation, walk through, evaluation protocols, lesson plans, curriculum, assessments, feedback loops, community engagement, and really create an action plan that moves you from where you are to where you want to be.
0: Mm. And I'm glad you just brought up community uh, engagement uh, because that nice segue to the next question.
1: It's only because I read your questions, Will, so I just set that <laughs> up intentionally.
0: <laughs> so what does family and community engagement looks like? look like when schools and school districts start to leverage the power of connectivity
1: yeah i mean uh, we all know the phrase perception is reality i hate that phrase and you're going to live and die by it the whole idea is how do you give your stakeholders reality Mm. great things happen every single day in our classrooms our schools our districts do people know about it Do they know how when you're going to blended learning, uh, which is what the kids do with technology, where they control path, pace, and place, not blended instruction, what the teacher does with tech. But when you talk about this move to blended learning, and it is more autonomy for the kids. You know, how do you get parents on board? I saw that here in my home district here in outside of Houston. My daughter's school last year was a blended learning campus. And here's what the parents said. Why are the teachers not teaching? What is this seesaw Google Classroom stuff? You know, why are they having all these fancy, comfortable spaces? But over time, and now uh, I'm in my third year working with this school, which is this, the best job ever. Not only do they have the data to align with how blended learning has gotten great results, but they have such a concerted, consistent effort through a multifaceted use of tools. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, they have their own hashtag. And now, oh my goodness, these parents who are also my friends, they love the school. The kids love the school, but it was that consistent storyteller in chief mentality that was embraced by not just the administrators, but the teachers as well. Every grade level has their own Twitter account, their own Instagram account. They all consistently use the same hashtag. The administrators have their Twitter handles on their computers so you can see what their parents sit down with them, that's what they see. So the idea here is parents, the community has to learn how to unlearn and relearn. If we want to get them on board with innovative practices We have to use the tools that we have to connect to why are we doing this? How are we going about it? And what is the evidence that it actually is better for our kids? So you got to be consistent, 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 utilizing not just text, hyperlinks, but images, videos, not just putting yourself all the eggs in the Twitter basket. You know, there's a lot of other tools out there. What if your parents don't like Twitter and what about your most important stakeholder, your learners? How are you using Snapchat? How are you using Instagram? If you want to talk about your community, thinking about LinkedIn. Oh my goodness. If you want to get your images out there, what about Pinterest? So I can go on and on and on again, but it's not how many tools you use or how many people follow you. It is the degree to which you use the tools And it's about the people that you connect with that give you the most bang for your buck. So as you think about that from a community perspective and a learning perspective, it's how you use your network and how you use the tools that you have at your disposal, not using them all. Mm -hmm. I did that. I failed miserably. You know, and if we try to do everything at once, we don't know what happens. It fails. Pick one or two tools. Focus on them. Use them, whether it's community engagement or for your own learning. And then when you feel comfortable, add more to your toolbox.
0: I hear you. So before we go, what do you say to those teachers and administrators who read your book and think that it won't work in their rural or urban Title I school?
1: Oh my goodness. Well, I could sit here and tell you all the title one, rural urban schools that I work in, uh, based on the principles of digital leadership. But here's the bottom line, you know, digital does level the playing field. It does, you know, with title one funds you do have, if your district is visionary and you you can use those funds to get access to technology, to get professional development, uh, professional learning support that you need. But the whole idea here is you know, you know, with limited resources, they having just a few devices, you know, I say, oh, Eric, well, Erica, we don't have all these devices to go one-to-one or our kids don't have, bring your own device. Well, then I say, well, what about clickers? You know, we could talk about, again, the review, prior learning, check for understanding, closure.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: a, a lot of it is how do we focus on the solutions, not the excuses. It's how do we use the funds to get, say, um, a, a few Chromebook carts, you know, as opposed to just going one to one, you know, or invest in a Chromebook cart as opposed to an interactive whiteboard, which is typically only used by the adult. So, you know, I'm seeing some of the most progress being made in urban and rural areas once the infrastructure is in place. Make no mistake about it, Will. There has to be commitment for bandwidth. Mm-hmm. and access to tools there has to be but then it really comes down to that pedagogical support I, I think the time for excuses is over we all have our challenges and the idea here is the challenges are not going to go away but let's talk about that teacher that might be in a rural area of a country well they can create their own pln to get ideas from others all over the world Let's say about a school that you know, is very isolated, that can't take their kids on a field trip. They could use Google Expeditions or Google Cardboard to take kids on a virtual field trip. But then it's what do the kids do after that to showcase that they've learned? You, know, you can bring in experts. Um, you can you know, take our, I mean, there's so many different things we can do, but you got to have the pedagogy in place. You have to have good bandwidth. And you have to have a certain amount of devices to be able to do it. So, you know, in digital leadership, I try to talk about those, you know, actions and solutions that we can take. But you know what? There is no, uh, you know, cookbook, you know, guidelines that'll show how to do this step by step by step because every teacher, administrator, school, district, state, country is different. And that's what I emphasize. The real challenge is how will you take the ideas in the book to be that catalyst for change and then scale it.
0: Awesome, awesome. Thank you, Eric, for coming on the show. Oh, thanks, Will. Hey, everybody, don't forget, it's out there now. (laughs) Yes, sir, yes, sir. And there will be a link in the show notes for people to go uh, pick up the book. I would like to again thank my guest, Eric Schoeninger, for coming on and talking about the second edition Of digital leadership. Uh, People, you know how I do this. This podcast episode will be going up on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Simplecast. Uh, I want you to rate it, subscribe, and follow, and leave your comments because your boy is trying to get Oprah on the show. And I want her to know that I'm doing big things around here. Again, I'd like you to thank you for checking out the Mobile University for Entrepreneurs. And I'm your host, Dr. Wheel. As always, people, invest in you. EDU. Peace.